Would you help me give the Lord a praise and a clap offering and a praise offering this morning? What a great God and Savior. What a wonderful time, wonderful job today, wonderful ministry today. Thank you, folks. You may be seated in his presence this morning. What a great presence of the Lord. Amen. What a great time. Last Sunday morning, the Lord moved mightily in these altars and uh, touched many of people I know. Several of you give testimony of the Lord's touch on your life. I want you to know something. These altars are always open. In the 21 years we've pastored here, we've never not had an altar. And if the Lord gives us another 21 years, we will always have an altar. I don't know how to live and do and, and, and worship without an altar. If you follow the Bible very closely from uh, Moses, Abraham, uh, I mean, everyone on down through the Old Testament, New Testament, they all had an altar. Anybody thankful for an altar? You know, altar doesn't really mean much unless you need it. But um, the altar is not just for personal needs in times of uh, desperation. How I many know oh, the altar can be a place to go to every morning and worship, bringing something to the Lord? If you've only, if you, if you've only lived for God. In, in a unilateral way where God has always provided for you and you've always and, and you've never given anything back to God. You've lived below the potential you have. I mean, oh, God longs for you to bring something to him. He wants you to bring something to him. It's an act of sacrifice. It's an act of worship. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's, it's not like we're paying homage to some dead uh, wooden statue. I mean, oh, we're serving a living God. We have praise on our lips to the living God. He, he hears us. I said, he hears you. So if you couldn't find the strength to sing out loud today, he could even hear your whisper. You couldn't even find the words to articulate a prayer. He can hear your still heart. He knows what's going on and he loves you. How many love the Lord this morning? Amen. Well, what a week it's been. What a week it's been, and the Lord has been helping us, and we're feeling his strength. We're feeling the strength of the prayers of the people, and God is helping us move on forward. Uh, how many had to fight a few devils this week? Amen. One or at least one. At least we got one over there. Missy said, I've been fighting for all of y'all. I've been fighting your devils and mine, she said. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wish I can tell you the devil stopped. Uh, the devil stops uh, aggravating. I wish I, I wish I could tell you the devil stops intimidating and aggravating, but he don't. His favorite pastime. I'm going to put this over here because my wife hates it when I mess with this microphone stand. And I get fidgety sometimes. I get fidgety. I know you know. You've only been seeing me up here 21 years. But, um, but the devil is never going to stop. Even Jesus, when he was uh, forced by the Holy Spirit, forced into the wilderness, Satan was there to mess with him. But you know what he said? The very same thing we ought to say. It is written, devil, get thee behind me. I am God's servant, and you have no weapon formed against me is going to prosper. You have nothing to say to me. Get on behind me. I choose to believe the report of the Lord. I mean, that's where faith is raising up. It just raises faith in your heart. And you know, and, and your words are important. How many think your words are powerful? My goodness, your your words coming out of your mouth, they come from your heart. Out of the abundance uh, of the heart, the mouth speaks. So 
So if, if you got praise coming out of your mouth, it means praise is in your heart. If you got negativity coming out of your mouth, it means negativity is in your heart. Somebody shout now. So we need, we need faith to rise up in our heart so we speak it with our mouth. And when we speak it with our mouth, our ears hear what our mouth just said that was coming from our heart. Are you with me? And so when your ears hear it, all of a sudden now your spirit has a feeling and an emotion about what your ears just heard that your mouth just said. Are you still with me? So it's imperative what comes out of your mouth. Life and death are in the power of the tongue. And so today we're going to try. I'm going to try. I struggle with this preparing for this lesson uh, because, because I know this. We're in a series in the book of Acts, and I am not able to do every chapter. Otherwise, 28 chapters later, we'll still be here. So I have tried today to condense chapter 6, chapter 7, and chapter 8 in one message. So I hope you don't have anything to do this afternoon. I'll be here a while. I'm teasing. I'm trying to get through it as fast as I can. Uh, but let's just uh, lift our hands and ask the Holy Spirit to help us speak. Whatever it is he speaks, it will meet, it'll meet a need here maybe and there because it's going to be a, a few, uh, you know, like topical messages that's going to go here and there. And uh, out of the out of the book, but it may it may move here and there. I mean, know oh, the Holy Spirit knows who to speak to and how. So, Father God, uh, take your word, anoint it, and and may it go out and meet a need in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen. So, so Acts six, seven, and eight. I'm just going to go ahead with six uh, right now, chapter uh, six, verses one through fifteen, to give you a text, <clears throat> and then we're going to bounce off from there. I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time in chapter 7 because it is Stephen who is uh, preaching. He, he is articulating uh, the word of God. I mean, he's absolutely hammering on those religious leaders and, uh, in, and not in defense of his own life. I mean, no, you don't have to defend your life. Your life belongs to the Lord. Uh, he's, he's defending the gospel, standing up for the faith, right? He's preaching the truth. And, uh, and that didn't set well. And then chapter 8. We find more leaders rising up. So raising up godly leaders in the 21st century, we should be looking at the first century. Uh, how many know we should go back to the blueprint? How did God raise up leaders in the first century? Well, that's how we should still be doing it. Nothing new under the sun. So Acts chapter 6, 1 through 15, now in those days, that was back then, when the number of disciples was multiplying, the church was growing. And here is a big one. <laughs> it doesn't happen at Oak Grove, but in some churches, this happens. There arose a complaint against the Hebrews by the Hellenists because their widows were neglected in the daily distribution. Uh, that's a complaint. And then the twelve, this is it, the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. Therefore, brethren, seek out from among you seven men of good reputation, full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business. So problem rose up, and solution is this. So here's the deal. Here's the deal. Uh, it says men, seven men. So you're in that culture. It's a Jewish culture. Men were the leaders in the Jewish culture. Men uh, you, you understand the situation in case you uh, getting gender freaky. It's not wor don't worry about it. Right. I mean, oh, God calls men and women. All right. I just wanted to clarify in case you 
That's the only two he can call, men and women. All right, there's no other. After that, there's nobody else. All right, thank you. Uh, but we will give ourselves continually, the, the apostle said, to prayer. Aren't you glad he put prayer first? He put prayer first for a reason. Not to, not to devalue the word. Ministry of the word is valuable. But you can minister the word without prayer. How many know it's not going to touch anybody's heart? How many know God honors prayer? Sure he does. So pray and minister the word. In verse 5, and the, and the saying pleased the whole church. How many know that's a miracle? The whole church is pleased. First miracle there. And then they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and the Holy Spirit. And they chose Philip and Prochorus. How about that guy? Never met him. And Nicanor um, and Timon. I wonder if the other guy was with him. Timon. Oh, never mind. Parmenas and Nicholas, a, a proselyte from Antioch. So they were proselyting even way back then. Whom they set before the apostles. They set these people they chose before the apostles. And when they had prayed, prayer again, they laid hands on them. Then the result, verse 7, the word of God spread. The number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. The saved got saved. And Stephen, verse 8, full of faith and power, did great wonders and signs among the people. Listen to that. A deacon. I mean, all the power of God is not reserved to credentialed ministers. If you have faith and prayer and move in the spirit, God can use you. He can raise up all kinds of leaders. Then there arose from what is called the synagogue of the freedmen. Okay. Uh, Cyrenians, Alexandrians, and those from Cilicia and Asia. And I underlined it. There's always a devil in the waiting. There arose those people disputing with Stephen. Always, always. And they were not able, look at this, though, I love verse 10. They were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which he spoke. I mean, that's why we need the Holy Ghost. You can refute my opinions. You can even refute what I think. But how many know you can't go against the wisdom of God and the power of God? And, and that's what that's what you see right there. Then they secretly, I think the word secretly is very important. I underline that. Secretly. I mean, no, that's what the enemy loves to do. A Judah spirit. Secretly. Absalom spirit. Secretly. Going and turning the hearts of the people away from the Lord. Are you seeing that? Secretly induce men to lie and say, We've heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and God. They added Moses because it's Jewish. You can, you could speak against God, but if you speak against Moses, blasphemy. Verse 12, they stirred up the people. I underlined it because how I many know the devil's pastime is to stir up the people of God. Always. The elders, the scribes, and they came upon him and they seized him. Wow. And they brought him to the council. That's like, Picking Pastor Ron up and bringing him to 1445 Boonville. Answer to the council. They also set up false witnesses, okay, who lied again. This man does not cease to speak blasphemous words against this holy place and the law. But we have heard him say, lie. We've heard him say, this Jesus of Nazareth will destroy this place and change the customs which 
Moses delivered to us. Used a little bit of what uh, they used when they crucified Christ. They added to it just like Satan did in the garden with Eve as he deceived her. Added stuff to it. Changed the customs which Moses delivered to us. And all who sat in the council looking steadfast at him. What did they see? Did they see Stephen like, oh. They looked at him and saw his face shining bright like the face of an angel. I mean, that's the anointing of the Holy Spirit. In the midst of turmoil and lying, somebody's lying at him. He's shining like a he's shining like a light bulb. So the problem, verse one, is don't want to get complicated. There arose a complaint. Oh, it's okay. It happens. Anytime there's people, somebody's going to complain about something. Somebody's going to complain about something. And uh, the older you get, uh, the more pain you have. Anybody feel that? I mean, just complaining is the order of the day. I just, oh, oh. It's like uh, Mr. Boudreaux from South Louisiana. He went to the doctor, and he said, uh, Doc, he said, when, when I touch right here, it hurts. The doctor said, really? He said, yeah, Doc. And, and when I touch right here, he said, it hurts. He said, really? He said, yeah, Doc, when I touch right here, it hurts. He said, let me see, Mr. Boudreaux. You broke your finger. It's kind of like what you smell, and you walk in, and why every room you go in, you're smelling something. What's that smell? What's that smell? And you stepped in something. It's you. It's you. You're carrying the smell. I mean, no, complaining is a stench in the nostrils of God. Although He allows us to do it, but it's not a virtue of the Spirit. Complaining spirit, a murmuring spirit. That was the problem. And I don't know that they were intentionally trying to hurt anybody, but the Hebrew, uh, the the uh, the widows were saying, "We're not getting the, the the food is not getting to us. We need faster service. Meals on Wheels was not getting to them in time." The solution, verse two and four, the apostles, twelve apostles, called together the other disciples. So the church is growing, and when the church is growing, when God starts blessing, how many know the devil starts messing? He's not gonna lay down, and play dead while you win the world. And so uh, the solution was, hey, we are busy praying and taking care of the word. Seek out for yourself seven leaders to help. This is the solution. It's the first place in biblical uh, New Testament where we're having to raise up leaders. And Jesus, been, remember, remember before, the resur- before he died and resurrected, he said, hey, there's a problem. He looked at the crowds and he said they are like sheep without a shepherd. He's moved compassion. And he had this prayer, therefore pray the Lord would raise up leaders, workers in the harvest field. How many know that that that's 2,000 years ago? Guess what the problem still is? Around the world, worldwide problem. In fact, in America today, it's even problem finding somebody at McDonald's to work. I mean, how long can a person stay in the drive-thru? Hey, hey, I don't need a hamburger that bad. At, at three hours, I pull out. <laughs> and I and I feel sorry for the manager. They're just scraping around. They're sweeping, doing fries, flipping burgers. It's a lot going on, but there's a lack of leaders. How I many? There's a real lack of leaders in the world today. So that this is a biblical mandate in chapter six. Hey, you raise up people from the body of Christ. How many? How many believe God can use His people? 
Of course he, of course he can. And I think there was probably this uh, mutual agreement. Yeah, yeah, that's true. You should be praying and preaching the word. And there's only a few of you doing that. There's more of us. We can wait on the tables. So it wasn't a value issue. It wasn't a value issue. I mean, no, preaching and praying is not more valuable than serving and caring. Wasn't a value issue. I mean, no, it's all very important. It's supply and demand issue. Uh, we can't do this and that. We need help. And so, and so I just wanted to tell you that was the solution. The result was the people came together, other disciples that, uh, that didn't have a call to preach, communicate, and maybe, and all of that, or, or, or maybe they did. I think everybody was called. How many know every Christian is a minister of some sort? Some were gifted into the five-fold ministry gifts of the vocational calling of God in Ephesians chapter 4, right? And God gave some to be pastors, right? And others to be lay leaders. And uh, so apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers, that's the five-fold ministry. Uh, and, and some are doing that, but that's not all that needs to be done. Hello? If you've been in church at all, there's a lot of work to be done in the house of the Lord. And that's just in the house of the Lord. And James said, hey, pure and undefiled religion is take care of the widows and the orphans, the children and the, and the widows, the elderly and the, and the weak and the feeble, right? And the young ones that can't take care of themselves. And that if we are a big family, how many know it takes a village? It takes a whole church to do the work of God. And so they're, they're raising up the leaders. And the Bible says that by five through seven, the word began to spread. Are you there? The word began to spread everywhere and uh it pleased the bunch and they chose Stephen man full of faith in the holy ghost and Philip and all these other gentlemen uh and they set before them the apostles when they had prayed they laid their hands on them and the word of god spread the number of disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great army of priests were obedient to the faith so uh the next problem uh how many know after you solve one problem doesn't mean another problem's not coming has anybody been saved long enough to know that after all your miracles and after your praise is done, <laughs> tomorrow there's probably another issue to deal with? Anybody live, live long enough for God to know that there's always something coming? And that's why we need Jesus every day. We don't need him on Sundays. And did you know there's a lot of ministry that takes place between Sundays? I mean, we, we call ministry, I mean, the church structure. From the, about the fourth century, about two, three, four hundred years after Christ's resurrection, then they started building buildings and people started coming in and receiving instead of coming in to give, they came in to receive. I mean, oh, that was a flaw in the early church. Nobody called us to come in here and get, 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 like fat cats. God called us one body to do one work. For one God. Can you say amen to that? So another problem rose up in verse 9. Um, there arose some from what is called the synagogue of freedmen, whatever that is, and they were not, uh, they, they were disputing with Stephen. Disputing with Stephen. And Stephen was full of faith and full of the Holy Ghost. What were they disputing about? Well, you know, people were getting saved. They have a bunch of different opinions. How I many know there's, there's everybody's got an opinion. It's like the nose on your face. Everybody's got one. And if you don't have a nose, I'm sorry. You, usually people do. Okay. Um, and uh, but but they have opinions 
and uh, they started to argue with uh, with Stephen, and they were not able to resist wisdom, the wisdom of the Spirit by which he spoke. Then they secretly induced other men to lie about Stephen. So there's something. You know how we have tracked in the book of Acts how Satan came over Ananias and Sapphira? You know how in the gospel how Satan came over Judas? I believe that every born-again believer has the potential. Listen carefully. If you're not prayed up and in the word, if you're not sensitive to the voice of the spirit, there is the propensity for the spirit of the evil man come in you. And it starts with discontent, disgust, unsatisfied. This, then it goes into the next, graduates to cynicism and criticism and complaint. Then it graduates into lying and deceiving and manipulating. Get your way. How I many know oh, the devil is a liar? And even at Jesus' table, there was a Judas. So what makes us think that in the body of Christ, there won't be somebody trying to dispute and fight and stir up and lie. And verse 12, they stirred up the people and, uh, and so much so that they seized. That was the problem, some more trouble. I'm glad the way you're shouting. But number five is good news. Stephen, the leader, took care of the problem. He didn't resist. He didn't leave. He didn't back down. How many know we need? I feel like I want to preach. We need God. We need the Holy Ghost to raise up godly people who are not afraid to stand up and take it. Who stand up and resist it with the wisdom of God and the power of God to speak the truth of God. No matter how much naysayers and negativity and lies. Just stand up for the truth. So Stephen stood up and preached. The whole of chapter 7, wow, verse 1, the high priest said, are these things true, everything you're saying? He was just sitting there shining. His face is shining like an angel. How many know when you're in the presence of the Lord, there's not a devil or a lie big enough to stop you? Listen to what I've learned in ministry. I don't have to take the offense. In other words, offense is only an offense to me if I receive it. So I learned that I can control what, uh, not what happens to me, but how I react to what happens to me. And instead of worrying about that and fretting over that and this and that and the other, Stephen just stood there shining. I imagine he was listening to the Father and looking up to heaven where his help comes from. And the Holy Ghost anointed him and he stood there in power, in victory. His face shone bright, bright as Moses when he was in the presence of the Lord. I mean, in the presence of God, criticism has to go. That's what was happening. Does it mean you can't take corrective criticism? No. No, but this is a spirit, you understand, that graduated into lying. Does anybody hear me? Okay, this is what's going on in the early church, and I'm just trying to give you simple facts uh, (laughs) that that they're trying to resolve some of these issues. And I believe that, uh, that they continue to pray and they, and they solve the first problem. Because I want you to understand that, um, that, that increased activity requires more time in prayer. The bigger the church gets, the more activity the church does, the more time the ministers have to spend in prayer and in the Word. You would think the busier we get, the less time for the Word and prayer. I mean, no, it's the opposite. 
more time needs to be spent. So we need more help, more leaders. And that's what was going on. They were trying to solve one problem at a time. Are y'all with me? So they chose these seven, and then they chose Stephen. And Stephen gets with the program, and the church grew, and they began to preach. But to verse 9, there arose some disputing Stephen. And secretly induced men to lie about him in verse 11. But 15 says they looked at him. His face was shining bright. Chapter 7 becomes a defense of the gospel. An indictment against the religious leaders. There's always somebody in the crowd. Going to try to act out. Just the nature of the beast. Don't ever assume everybody at Oak Grove is saved. Pastor, they're at the church. Can I tell you? They could be at McDonald's. It doesn't make them a hamburger. So Stephen, being full of the Spirit, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So this is what happened. He began to preach in chapter 7. He preached. This is, this is it. He preached just like Peter did on the day of Pentecost, right? And uh, now Stephen's just replicating, duplicating the early church. This is what ministers do. This is what they do. They preached a word. And the people didn't like it. They didn't like it so much. The Bible says that they went and they bit bit him. Like with their teeth, they gnawed on him. I, I, I. Can I tell you, if ever I say something that offends you, don't be quick to come up here and bite me. Because we have big security guys. And they love me. <laughs> don't come and bite on me. Don't bite me. Here's something I discovered in ministry I didn't really know till really later on. Sheep have teeth. I didn't realize that. I thought they were just cute and sweet. But I've seen some tongue-talking people get really rude and ugly. That's amazing. And so I'm just going to keep preaching. But uh, they bit on him with their teeth and... Uh, I don't know. I think Jesus stood up. I don't know where you think Jesus is, but uh, Wednesday night we talked about him. He's at, he's exalted to the right hand of the Father. He's on the throne. And when they started this and Stephen started to be bit on, bit on, literally biting the man of God, Jesus stood up out of the chair and said, Father God, look at this. Look at my man. They're biting him. The rabbi is going to get rabies. The people of God are biting. It's craziness. But it got the attention of Jesus. How many know what you want to do is get Jesus' attention? If ever there's an attack, intentional or non-intentional, how many know you need to lift your eyes to Jesus? Let him anoint you and your face will come and shine bright. And the verse, uh, verse 7 of chapter 7 said they screamed covered their ears and ran at him all at once and took him out of the city and stoned him. They didn't like the message so bad that they screamed and covered their ears. La, 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 I mean, that's mad people right there. I don't know what Stephen said, but it really, really didn't sit well. And those who watched laid their clothes at the feet of a young man named Saul from Tarshish, chapter 7. You, what? 
Are you kidding me? Saul says, came to con- uh, contend watching Stephen. He was like, yes, we're going to eradicate these radicals. They sound, you Stephen sounds just like Peter, and Peter sounds just like Jesus. Praise God! I mean, the gospel is working. Jesus said, go, tell them what I've told you. So they did. But they got backlash. Can I tell you, all you got to do to get rid of any backlash and have peace all the time in church is lighten up on preaching against sin. Just lighten up. Don't, don't, don't preach against sin. Just lighten up. It's too heavy. People are offended by that. And, and listen, this Holy Spirit thing, you, it's optional. Pray in tongues if you want. Don't if you don't. Ah. We're simply God, but not really. We believe in the Holy Ghost, but you do whatever you want. You don't really need to speak in tongues. I mean, no, the devil is a liar. If Stephen didn't have the Holy Ghost, he wouldn't have been having the ability to stand in the power and presence of God and preach and be protected all the while, not outwardly from the persecution, but inwardly with a smile and a shine on his face. That means what, what you do to me outwardly doesn't have to affect what's going on inwardly. That's serious. That's some good stuff right there. If I was in a Pentecostal church, they would have shouted right there. But they, but they, they stoned him. Verse 59, and as they were stoning Stephen, he was calling on God, saying, receive my spirit. That's some powerful stuff right there. I wonder where he heard that before. I said, I wonder where Stephen heard that before. Well, it wasn't very long earlier. Jesus was on the cross. And as they were gambling for his clothes and spitting on him and and insulting him and Hello. It wasn't long ago. I know we're 2,000 years, but they were just a few days, months, weeks from what that was. And Stephen remembered. And, and, and the disciples told the new believers, and the new believers got saved, heard, and believed what the disciples said. And they became disciples, and they began to teach. And, to, and so not everybody says, well, um, but there was one listening. His name was Saul. I don't know what you believe, but I think that the demeanor of Stephen, uh, the power Stephen had to resist that kind of attack, vicious and malicious, to be stoned to death and look to heaven and say, I see, uh, receive my spirit. I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. That's where he's at. This Jesus that was just resurrected is right there. He just saw him. I said he saw him. And when you see Jesus, how I many know it doesn't matter who's stoning you? Jesus is proud of you because you stood up for righteousness. That's powerful stuff here, in case you're getting it. He had heard that before. Then verse 60, he knelt down and screamed out, Lord, do not charge them with this sin. I wonder where he heard that before. Well, let me tell you again, in case you didn't get it a minute ago. Max, when Jesus was on the cross just a few months earlier, he stretched out his arms and he said to them, but just before he died, Father, forgive them. Why? They don't know what they're doing. They don't know. They killed the Lord of glory. How ignorant. They know now. 
Stephen's telling them again, don't lay this charge, uh, charge them with this sin. And the Bible says he fell asleep. Becky, he fell asleep. It's like Jack did this the other day. He fell asleep. And when Jack opened his eyes, he was in the presence of the Lord. Woo! Hallelujah. Hallelujah. And so he heard that from somewhere. So the persecution arose against the church uh, at Jerusalem in chapter 8. And uh, Saul was consenting to Stephen's death. And the disciples began to scatter throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Except the apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem for now. And Saul, the Bible says in chapter 8, made havoc of the church. Saul of Tarshish, the Hebrew of Hebrews, from the tribe of Benjamin, studied in the law, impeccable when it came to the law, intellectually smart about the law, but spiritually dead in sin, who thought he was doing the right thing, but was doing the wrong thing. But how many know chapter 9 is coming? Hallelujah. We'll get to chapter 9 when chapter 9 gets here. But the apostle Paul, he Saul is now Saul, and he's persecuting the church. And he's sitting there, and he's just eating that up. Stephen, you got what's coming to you, you Jesus follower. Hey, have you had any, uh, any kickback from being a Christian? I just want to ask you, how much of a Christian are you? If nobody knows you're a Christian, like I said about the church, if you don't want any kickback, just shh, shh. Hey, go easy on sin. People don't really like that. And don't ask them for money. For goodness sakes, don't require any tithe. Because we all are just doing whatever we want to do. I put it wherever I want. It's my money. No, 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 no. Don't be silly. Remember what happened to Ananias and them? Remember that? So, so it's important that they get the whole gospel. Right? Except the apostles, they stayed in Jerusalem. So what was happening, the persecution, so, so you say, oh, I hate that the church had to go through persecution. I hate that. But how many know God has a plan for the church? Hey, how many believe in the sovereign plan of Almighty God? If the church didn't get that persecution, Christ, listen, Stephen was the first Christian martyr. Made history. He made history, the first martyr in the New Testament. And it, and, and it looked like he had the victory over them. It didn't look like they got the victory over him. That's the way it appeared to me when I read it. You go home and read it again. You can cry in your own wound, but I'm not going to believe that. I'm going to believe the report of the Lord. Stephen went all the way to heaven. He didn't let what happened to him affect him here. If they kill me, they kill me. But I'm going to heaven. That's what he said. And they killed him. At the end of that story. So then chapter uh, 8 says that the 12 apostles stayed in Jerusalem. Do you understand? The church was predominantly Jews in Jerusalem. And Jesus said, right, in Acts chapter 1, he said, uh, and you shall receive what? Power after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you will be my witnesses in? In where? Jerusalem. Thank you. He started with Jerusalem because that's where he started. Let me say that in the Greek. He started in Jerusalem because that's where he started. Hebrew is the same thing, by the way. Jerusalem, the starting place. But because of persecution, they had the dispersion. They began to be dispersed to other places. Got to get out of here. They're killing me. They're killing my family. I can't stay here. But the apostles, they stayed with the ship. The others dispersed, 
as God saw fit to raise up leaders and send them out. It wasn't so much the church was answering as it was responding. And God raising up a plan. How many believe God still has a plan? And so they stayed in Jerusalem. And Philip went to Samaria and preached Christ to them, chapter 8, and did miracles. And the people responded positively, and great joy was in the city. How many would be a great day if God began to send a revival? We started seeing miracles. There would be great joy at Old Grove Assembly. Woo! Man, wouldn't have nobody have to coerce you to praise God. You'd come in. Pastor, listen, I got healed this week. I led so-and-so to the Lord this week. I saw my boss came to Jesus this week. Woo! We're not there yet. But it's coming, okay? I'm insanely optimistic. All right. And so great joy comes when we see miracles. Stephen did miracles. And they, they thought they had done away. Listen to me. The people thought they did away with Jesus. That's why they took Stephen, brought him to the council. Look, this guy is doing what that guy did. And we can't go after Jesus because he's, because he's, we don't know where he is. I mean, that'll aggravate the devil's church. You can't find Jesus. You can't find Jesus. We can't even blame him. He's not here. He's risen just like he said. So now here he goes, baby Jesus. I'm, I'm saying we're Jesuses. God knows we're not Jesuses. There's nothing divine about us. But, but we are heirs and joint heirs with Christ Jesus. I said we rule and reign. We are prophets, priests, and kings. I said we're in the kingdom. And we're anointed to lead. I said, church, we are the church and we're anointed to lead. God's raising up leaders, and Stephen goes in. He does miracles. The deacon does miracles. You want a job description for deacons? Full of the Holy Ghost and faith and did miracles and waited on the tables and took care of some of the issues. God didn't call deacons to be watchdogs and say, I you need a, I got to tell you the, the people, it's too hot in the church, too cold in the church. God help you. That's not the job of a deacon. Okay, in case you read it, go back and read it. First Timothy chapter 3. I, I tell our board every time they come, a new deacon comes on the board, the first thing I tell them, do's and don'ts of deacons. And I say, if somebody comes to this board meeting and says, Pastor so and Sister so-and-so said there's crackers on the floor in the nursery, I just want to bring it to your attention, by the way. I look at them and I say, there's a vacuum cleaner in the janitor's closet. That is not why deacons get together and meet once a month. And I got a good report for you. When our deacons get together and our leaders, we do business for about 20 minutes and we pray longer than we do business. Can somebody give God praise for a healthy church and a healthy board who knows what to do? Not coming here with every little whine and every little complaint. That's not. That's why we're healthy. That's why we stayed so long. Pastor, why you stay so long? Because you love me, and we love you. Ain't no riff-raff and wah-wah and wah-wah. Nobody calling the whamulance. So uh, I just about finished. Please hang in there with me. Great joy was in the city of Samaria. Why? Because of 
Because guess what? Philip wasn't the first evangelist. Last Sunday night, we talked about John chapter 4, when Jesus was talking to this lady, an unlikely lady to be raised up to be a leader in the church. But Jesus said to her, lady, if you only knew who it was who was talking to you, you would ask me for water, and I'd give you water, and you would never thirst again. And that lady got so saved, you ran into, ran into Samaria and began to tell everyone. The greatest evangelist in the New Testament was the lady that Jesus led to himself. Isn't that weird? I'm going to lead you to God, honey, of which I am. I'm going to lead you to myself because I am God. You get that, lady? <laughs> and so she goes in town and says, come and see a man who told me everything I knew. Is not this the Messiah? So Philip, by the time Philip gets to, 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 to Samaria, that city had already heard. In fact, if you read on in Acts, it, it talks about, I mean, John, it talks about the fact that first the lady at Samaria, the woman at the well, told them, and they believed her story. But a little later it says, and then they began to believe Jesus for themselves. Oh, that's a good story. How many know that's a healthy church? That you believe because I told you, but then when you start believing because you experience Jesus for yourself, how many know you're well on your way to Christian maturity? That's Christian maturity. So Philip wasn't the first evangelist. It was a, a woman. A what? A woman. A what? A woman. What? How many know God can call women? Oh, I better move on. I want to stop right here, though. Text is enough. I've given you enough of the text. Uh, what makes a biblical leader a leader? Just real quickly, because it's only 11.15, and I've got time, and you've got nowhere to go. Number one, they, de they demonstrate Christian maturity. Stephen was full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. Man, if you want to be a leader, if you aspire to be a leader, if you want to be a godly leader, a biblical leader, how many know you need to get the Holy Ghost? And I mean now. Not so you can be uh, a, a better saved, uh, although that will help you. I mean, all you need is Jesus to be saved. I said Jesus and his blood is forgiving you, and that, that's what gets you to heaven. How many agree with that? But the Holy Spirit will help you to live for Jesus tomorrow. Tomorrow. So the thief on the cross went without the baptism of the Holy Spirit. But how many know if he'd have got off of that cross and lived, he'd have needed the Holy Spirit just like you and I do. And Gino Max said, well, we need, Pastor, we need the Holy Ghost. That's what we need. And we need wisdom, not just man's wisdom, not just man's wisdom, if you're going to be a leader, Pastor Jess, you know, if you're going to be a leader, first century or 21st century, how many know you're going to need wisdom from God? Wisdom from God, not your own intellect. You can have an IQ, you know, bigger than your shoe size, which is not that big. But it'll get you nowhere. I know, how many know humanistic wisdom is not wisdom at all? It's dead. It's dead. It's no good. We need godly wisdom. And how do you get it? Well, James said it very plainly. If anybody lacks wisdom, supernatural wisdom, godly wisdom, spirit-given wisdom, 
Let him ask of God and God will give it to you liberally. It's not hard. It's not a test. It's not a trick. You need wisdom. I'll tell you what, be a leader in 21st century, you need a lot of wisdom. It's a different day. So they may not be biting on us with their teeth, stoning us outside the city. But how many know there's a censorship in the pulpit in the same manner? Pressure from the outside, some pressures from the inside. And how many know the devil is always pressuring the man and woman of God, trying to trick them and manipulate them? And so, so Simon the sorcerer next week and Ethiopian eunuch, we'll deal with that later. But I want to see some of the things I believe, characteristics that help you to be a leader. And one of them is maturity. One of the things that helped me the most is I have a mentor. And I'll tell you right now, whether you're in leadership or not, if you're in the kingdom, you need a mentor. You need somebody who's been a little further down the road than you, spiritually that can speak and give life to you, speak life into you, invest something into you. Are you hearing me? Where would we be without men and women of God who invested in our lives to take us to the next level? And if you don't have any other levels to go, you already have trouble because you're full of arrogance and pride. I know everybody can grow to another level. Got to be a next level. David just, I got my bachelor. Now I needed more. I needed more. So now I got my master's. David, do I have to call you master? If you call me master, I'll call you master. But let me tell you, by grace you call me brother. By degree you call me master. But by grace you call me brother. But we're always growing. How many are still growing? How many of you stop growing? Don't raise your hand. Just a little tricky. But God helped me by having a mentor, Max, to learn how to gain what I call eternal perspective. See, everything I have uh, before I learned this principle, I'm always earthly minded. I was always earthly minded. That's why I responded all the time, actually reacted all the time. Anybody react to stuff? Pastor Ron, the only one? Wow, I need to grow up. The rest of you are all mature. But I reacted all the time to earthly things, opposition, people, different things. I reacted, reacted. And I was like, why am I doing that? So I'm giving control to them to make me act like they want me to act. And that's not God's plan. Until I got an earthly, uh, got rid of an earthly perspective. But all I saw was earth. See, hear, smell, touch. All of that was earthly. But I had to lift my eyes like Stephen did on eternity. And one of my prayers every day, Jim, was, Lord, stamp eternity on my eyeball. How I many know I'm not getting ready for a funeral? I'm getting ready for a wedding. I mean, no, Jesus is coming. Jesus is coming. This is not the end for me. I said, I'm just a pilgrim passing through. Is anybody here in the house believe that Jesus is soon to come and get his church? Well, if so, we got a lot of work to do then. We got to be rising up as leaders and learn to grow up. Grow up. You know, it's, it's, it's one thing to feed babies and invalids. Sometimes people who can't feed themselves, you got to help them. But, but, but. But grown adults, it's kind of like, to give you a pictorial, it's kind of like a 50-year-old sitting in a high chair with spaghetti everywhere, all over their mouth, noodles in their hair. I mean, no, that's not a good picture. If you're 50 years old and you can't eat a noodle, 
and spaghetti in your mouth, like a fork and in your mouth and wipe it with manners. First of all, you can't fit in a high chair. How silly does that look? But we have people in the pew. Is anybody going to help me finish preaching this message? We got folks in the pew who can't feed themselves. And so this is what they do. Well, Pastor, I'd be more spiritual if you'd preach. But you're not, you're not, what do they call that? You're not feeding me. Well, honey, the rest of us waddle up to the table and eat it for ourselves. If all you're eating is one meal a day at Oak Grove, you're starving to death. I mean, no, you need a daily personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Go home, feed yourself. Grow up. That's what the problem was. And by the time we got to 60, 70, 80 years down the road after the first century church, they began to get carnal and cold-hearted and, 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 and uh, laxed and discipline was gone and their, and their respect was gone. And how many know we're 2,000 years? It's really gone. And so, demonstrate maturity. A crisis never makes a hero or a coward. It simply reveals what is already in them. So you got to grow up. I said, for God's sakes, we got to grow up. And then uh, we also need, they, they need to demonstrate courage in the face of, of, of adversity. Look at Stephen. Wow. Look at that initiative he takes. Look, look at that. Uh, Philip, has he as he goes to the Ethiopian eunuch. We'll deal with that next week. But they all are dealing with stuff. And not just good days, but how many know there's good days and bad days? you got to deal with all of them, right? And so um, we, we, we are totally aware of evil, right? We have to be aware of evil. And the, more, and the moment that you step up in leadership, and, the, and listen, as soon as you step up in leadership, Satan's got a target on your head. I know Brian told me, Pastor, I don't know if I want to serve another term on the board. This stuff is tough. It's tough being a deacon. You know what happened? You're a threat to the kingdom of darkness. You started taking on responsibilities and started leading in the church. He's not going to lay down and play dead. Coming after you and your family. If you can only listen to the stories of Brian and Debbie, what, they, what they've gone through. I was, I was like, Father God, let's take them off just to save them. Save them. <laughs> but they didn't. With courage, they stood in there. This virtue shines brightest during testing times. Courage is not really courage if you're not being tested, right? And then, and then leaders, uh, they are bold. They are, uh, they are servants. They're also servants, heart. How many thinks a leader uh, should be a servant? You can't be a leader till you learn how to be a follower. So before you talk about leadership, you got to learn how to do fellowship. I didn't say fellowship. That's tonight. I said fellowship. If you can't follow, you're going to be hard-pressed. to. If you can't learn, you're not going to be able to lead. I love this 23rd Psalm. How many love the 23rd Psalm? Do you know it by heart? The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. Or in another word, the Lord is my shepherd. I have no need of anything. Isn't that beautiful? The Lord is my shepherd. I have no need of anything. And the next line, he leads me. He leads me. Well, let me just tell you something. Yeah, yeah, you got it. We're not going to quote the whole thing. Hang in there. I've never seen you so emotionally excited. Scaring me. I better quit. They're about to have a revival. He leads me. Means if he's going to lead me, means I've got to relinquish control. You got to learn how to be led. 
If you can't be led, how many know we have an authority issue in the 21st century church? People are resisting leadership. They're resisting anything called leadership. They don't want to be led. Therefore, they're always never finding green pastures or still waters. Are y'all hearing me? It's real whether you're hearing me or not. So I I tell you, uh, to be bold, not perfect, not free from failure, but willing to risk it all for the glory of God. How many is ready to risk it all for the glory of God? Be the leader he's calling you. It's better to try doing great things for God than to succeed at living a life that doesn't know joy or suffering because you didn't even try. I'd rather try, fail trying than not to try at all. So uh, if you're a servant, then you understand authority. Uh, the, the servant never sets themselves above the followers. One of the characteristics of a servant, they never set themselves above the follower. And, and, and listen, I, I'm glad to be your leader, 21 years. But if you only follow because of the position of pastor and not the personhood of pastor, then you really, that's the lowest level of leadership. If you only follow, you're the pastor, I've got to do what you say, you're the pastor. I mean, no, that's very low. Like the lowest point of leadership. But if you say, Pastor, I love you and Melissa, you've got my back, you pray for me, I'm with you. I'll go in the trench with you. How many know that's love? That's love. That's relationship. And we can, how many know we can kill a lot of devils together? Woo! Yes, indeed. And so, um, the only thing you ought to set yourself up above the follower is in accepting and carrying the responsibility. We don't expect our kids to carry the responsibility. We're the parents. If you don't think you're a leader and you have children, how many know you are a leader? You're leading your own children, right? And isn't there a lack of leadership? I mean, doctors, aren't they trying to find doctors? What about nurses? Isn't there a shortage of nurses? What about teachers and administrators? Isn't there a shortage of teachers and administrators? What about cops and, and, and hello? Everywhere you go, nobody's even willing to flip fries at McDonald's. Can't find a leader. Can't find a leader. But if you kid, you ever was a kid and you played follow the leader, how many know one leads? It's no fun to play follow the leader when the leader's behind all the other people and they're, wait a minute, this is not working. I love what John Maxwell says. He said, one who thinks he's leading and has no one following is only taking a walk. That's true. I mean, the very definition of a leader is having somebody follow. And so a servant heart. I I love this story, and I hate to go on. I'm almost done. Pastor Duran, he pastored First Assembly in Shreveport, and he and his wife pastored it, planted it, pastored it, grew 3,000 strong. His son, Denny, was supposed to take it over, and brother and sister Duran retired from the church as pastor. So they had a big reception in the back, like we'll do next Sunday night, except I'm not retiring. Hang in there. Uh, Don't eat the potato salad too soon here. But uh, they, ate, they ate and had fellowship, and, and one of the ladies in the church came up to Sister Duran and said, how does it feel, Sister Duran, to step down out of the ministry? To which she replied, oh, honey, Pastor Duran and I never stepped up. So there was no reason to step down. She said, when we went into the ministry, we were servants, and when we get out, how many know we'll still be servants? At the end of the day, the Lord's going to say, well done, good, and faithful 
servant. Not pastor, not evangelist, not missionary, servant. Not deacon, not teacher, servant. I think I beat that dead horse long enough. So let's keep going. Um, success is what you do for yourself. Significance is what you do for other people. So so the last one here, uh, let me see. Learn how to follow others and submit to authority. Learn how to handle resistance and stand alone if you have to. I just got to tell you, you got to love the word and love the spirit. Be a man or woman of the spirit and a man or uh, woman of the word. If some of these uh, leaders in the Bible could talk to us, Paul would say, believing something bigger than yourself. How about believing in God? Just trying to set yourself up for a big church. I mean, you already serve a big God. What more do you need? Um, Nehemiah said, build on what God has already given you. It's already there. Start with what you got. Uh, Barnabas said, bridge the gap of differing opinions. Isn't that something? Everybody was always arguing, and Barnabas was trying to bring peace. Moses, blind your eyes to petty criticism. Peter said, learn to bounce back when you're knocked down and never feel failure. Fear, failure but always fail forward. Peter, (laughs) he's a miracle. He's a miracle, and I love it. (laughs) And so uh, here's the altar. Uh, I'm done. It's 1130. They're coming back. Uh, How many know there's a lot to talk about on this big topic of leadership? I just wanted to give you the text and then give you a little bit of pastoral talk about about leadership. But But the order of the day is our altar is this. We need leaders. And we don't need leaders just in the church. Obviously, we're talking about the church. We need leaders in your home. We we need leaders at the hospital. We need leaders in the law office. We need leaders in the schoolhouse. We need leaders in the courthouse. We need leaders in the jailhouse. We need leaders everywhere, even in God's house. And so so I I just want you to... uh, Stand with me, and I'm going to ask you a couple of questions, and maybe maybe uh, it'll work for you. I don't know who, who you would call if you were Jesus, but Jesus called a motley crew. I said Jesus called a motley crew. Twelve disciples. I don't know if they would have made it. Even the Apostle Paul, he was killing Stephen. I love this. I love this. It said... Um, how the missions board might have responded to an application from the Apostle Paul. Yeah, I love it. I'll give it to you real quick. It said, first of all, uh, Brother Paul, we understand that you have never had sufficient financial support in your missionary labors. You had to work alongside, but do you not have enough faith to believe God for all of it, Paul? They probably wouldn't have hired him. Second, Paul, we've heard that you've been brash and outspoken about your own views. We really don't think, we think you need counseling, Paul. We're not going to make it. Also, we understand you've not graduated from any accredited institution or seminary. We're glad you learned on the backside of Arabia, but you probably ought to get a degree, Paul. You're not worthy to be in the ministry. We advise you to get a counseling program where you can learn some basic relationship skills. Also, Paul, we did a background check on you and further revealed that you have numerous Critics and enemies. And, and some of those critics are from Corinth. And they challenge whether you, um, it was you or Apollos who had the most influence on them. 
Apart from these serious flaws, we've heard that you're prone to preach too long. In fact, Paul, we heard one time you preached so long, a young man fell out of the window and broke his neck. We want you to know that we don't really want long sermons, Paul. We would like to have short, sweet, cute little sermons. You're probably not going to be considered. uh, And you might consider using drama or something like that once in a while, Paul. You're boring. And you admit on your application you cannot remember those you baptized. You probably need a good record-keeping system, Paul. You're very unorganized. You're not going to make it. Our staff psychologists all suggest that it may reflect a pattern of running from your problems rather than committing to the work. You're from one church, planning another church. You can't stay nowhere for any amount of time, Paul. And we share all of these things, Paul. Out of a love and concern from our heart, we want you to succeed. But we strongly believe that you would do best in something other than missions. The stresses of the mission field could lead to a complete nervous breakdown. Perhaps a good Christian counselor could help you begin to work through some of your problems. We wish you the very best, the the Antioch Missions Board. Paul failed in their eyes. But how many know Paul wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and gave his life for the kingdom of God. We wouldn't have picked the right one. I don't think we would have picked the right one. So let me ask you a couple of questions here. What changes do you need to make to become a better, to become a better biblical leader? <clears throat> Are you willing to set some goals for growing personally? You got to get practical. Vision without implementation is hallucination. A lot of people dream about dreaming, about doing stuff, but they never do it. I'd put a timeline on it. And finally, you should have a good balance between the spirit that God is leading you in and the strategy that you have for taking the kingdom by force. It's not all spirit. It's not all strategy. It's a blend of both. Say, Pastor, I want to be a leader I don't want to be a spectator. I want to participate in the harvest. And maybe God's calling some of you, calling you out into full-time or lay ministry. We could certainly use it. The kingdom certainly could use it. We have a shortage of preachers, pastors, leaders, missionaries. We're retiring more missionaries than we're taking in. We're retiring, retiring more pastors than we're taking in. Couldn't find a youth pastor or a children's pastor if you... If you, if you tried, and God knows we're trying. How many is going to commit to praying with Oak Grove about a children's pastor? Come on, I hope you have, and I hope you will. And God will give us what he wants. But if you're here today and you want to come and make an altar and say, I want to be a leader, I want to be a leader. God's called me, God's using me. I want you to come. If he has a call of God on your life, and maybe you're fatigued, maybe you are a leader, but you're wore out. You're weary because you're doing it all yourself and you need some help. Come, ask God to raise up leaders in the harvest. We're going to sing, you move as the Holy Spirit directs you. Come on, just just spend a minute or two in the presence of God.